Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Story time. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Bye. 
I was staying this summer with an older cousin and his wife in the summer of 1983 or 1984. I was 13 or 14 at the time. They lived in the mountains somewhere out of Elmira, not sure of the exact spelling but it is close to Eugene. My cousin and his wife were new to Oregon, they had recently moved there from Bakersfield, California. My cousin was wanting to do some scouting as deer season was soon coming up, so one morning we packed a lunch and headed out into the forest from his house. In this area, there was only one paved road and in the direction we headed, there was only one dirt road that soon ended. There was a fairly good hiking trail that we traveled on for maybe an hour and a half, then we came upon a smaller, less traveled path that we stayed on for a good 45 minutes, stopping now and again on the edge of small clearings. The forest became too thick to see very far at all. So we decided to try and make our way up onto the side of a mountain we had been traveling at the base of. After about 30 to 40 minutes of dead-end game trails, we had gotten high enough that the forest started to thin a bit. We came to a small clearing that gave us a slight view of the valley below. We decided that we had gone far enough and decided to stop there and eat before turning back. It wasn't but just a moment after getting our food out and sitting back on an old log that we heard some rustling and snapping of twigs, what seemed like just out of our sight in the dense forest. By the sound of the twigs, we both knew this couldn't be a rabbit or any small animal. My cousin instantly turned and whispered, bear. We were still for about one minute, then came identical noises from the opposite side of the clearing. This really confused me as the sounds were rather loud and I didn't see how it could have moved to the other side of the clearing without us hearing. My cousin then whispered, two bears. He then whispered, they smell the food. Just then, there was a loud snap in the area of the second noises. Another thing that was most frightening was the loudness of cracking. I thought, this is one huge bear. Over the next two minutes, I was terrified as the snapping and breaking of what must have been large branches changed position around the clearing. Never did the noise come simultaneously from the same spot. Not until I heard the shot did I see my cousin with a snub nose point .38 pointed into the air. As soon as he fired, there came a loud, powerful roar that started low in pitch and ended very high, not shrill. It was a warning I will never forget. As soon as this powerful yell, scream, bellow ended, we were on our feet running in the direction we had come from. After about 50 yards, to our horror, there came another yell and I was sure this thing was following us. We began running full speed. I instantly started getting scratched and stuck by the thick forest. We were running downhill and at about 150 to 200 yards, there was it again, screaming. It seemed so close but we never saw anything, no movement, shadow, shape, nothing. We were now running as fast as we possibly could, not on paths. I can only describe it as reckless abandon. Several times I lost my feet and rolled and dove through ferns, trees, and thorny bushes. I became separated from my cousin but never slowed up as this scream would repeat approximately every 20 seconds. Once back on the trail, my cousin emerged about 50 feet from me. We still ran for what must have been a mile before this thing let up and started giving us some distance. But every time we started to stop or even slow, it would yell as if to say, not yet, get going. 
It was the tiredest I had ever been. My lungs and throat were way past hurting. I was so tired I was dizzy. I felt as if I would pass out any moment. We made it back to the house where his wife waited at the door, having heard the shots and screams. I was ripped to shreds from the forest. My cousin refused to believe it was something like Bigfoot, although he knew it was no bear. He thought it was some pissed off crazy mountain man. I knew not there wasn't a man alive that could have kept up with us, let alone make that noise. I only went outside two more times in the next week I was there, once to go to the library and then to the train home. We went to the library to research what this could have been. My cousin said it was a panther, but I don't think he actually believed this. He wouldn't let me talk to anyone about it. While skimming the valley floor for sheep a mile from my house, I noticed two lope figures. Initially, I thought the figures were coyotes or maybe stray dogs. However, as the two figures neared an old sunken vehicle, I realized that they were about the size of the vehicle, nearly 8 feet in length. No animal on the reservation could be that big. I watched the two figures until they disappeared into the woods across the valley. It was starting to get dark, but the moon was bright enough for me to walk without a light. As I walked down the mountain, I heard something yelling. It was like a howl or a yell. I started to hurry. When I got to my house, I locked the door and spent the night listening to the strangest sounds I've ever heard. I'm sure it was a skinwalker, a werewolf, or something similar. On October 6th, I found myself sitting across from Ori Enos, a man whose name had become synonymous with Bigfoot investigations. His story was one that had always intrigued me, and finally, I had the chance to hear it firsthand. Ori's journey into the world of Bigfoot began quite unexpectedly 15 years ago. At the time, he was just an ordinary man with a love for the outdoors. He would often venture into the wilderness, exploring the upper Abiqua Basin near Silverton, Oregon. Little did he know that one such expedition would change his life forever. I remember it like it was yesterday, Ori began, his eyes distant as he delved into the memories of that fateful day. I was hiking through the basin, just enjoying the solitude of nature when I stumbled upon these. These footprints. He described the footprints as being unusually large, unlike anything he'd seen before. They were deeply imprinted into the muddy terrain, suggesting the creature that left them was of considerable size and weight. Despite having no prior interest in Bigfoot, the peculiarity of these prints piqued his curiosity. I decided to follow the trail, he continued, it led me deeper into the canyon, far beyond where I'd ever ventured before. The further he followed the trail, the more isolated he became. The sounds of the forest grew quieter until all he could hear was the crunching of leaves under his boots and the occasional rustling of wildlife in the distance. And then, I saw it, Ori said, his voice barely above a whisper as if he was still in awe of the memory. In a sunlit clearing, he came upon a sight that would forever be etched in his mind. A massive black ape-like creature was there, basking in the sunlight, oblivious to his presence. The wind gently flowed through its thick, dark hair, giving it an almost ethereal appearance. 
I was close enough to see it clearly but far enough not to disturb it, he recalled. It was peaceful, just sitting there enjoying the sun. It was. It was incredible. That encounter marked a turning point in Ori's life. From that day forward, he dedicated himself to understanding this elusive creature. He began studying every piece of Bigfoot lore he could find, tracking sightings, and collecting evidence. His casual hikes turned into investigative expeditions as he followed the spore closely, hoping to learn more about the creature he had encountered. Over the years, Ori has become a respected figure in the field of Bigfoot investigations. His dedication and passion for the subject have inspired many others to take an interest in the legend of Bigfoot. Despite the skepticism and ridicule he often faces, Ori remains steadfast in his pursuit of the truth. As our conversation came to an end, I couldn't help but feel a sense of awe at Ori's story. His encounter with the creature, his subsequent journey into the world of Bigfoot, all spoke of a man who dared to delve into the unknown, driven by curiosity and a desire to understand. As I left, I found myself looking back at Ori, a man whose life had been forever changed by a chance encounter. His story served as a reminder that sometimes, the most extraordinary experiences come when we least expect them, forever altering the course of our lives. In the early 80s, four of us decided to take a trip down to the Snake River, which was about five miles from the town we lived in. This was in eastern Oregon, an area filled with lots of sagebrush and hills. It was at the beginning of winter, so there was only a slight amount of snow on the ground. We knew it was going to be a full moon that night and anticipated a spectacular view of the river. The group consisted of me, my husband, my sister, and her boyfriend. We were driving a 68 Mustang, feeling quite cool. We had some beer and weed, planning to just relax and enjoy the night. We headed out around 11 o'clock to a recreational area where people could camp and launch their boats. To get into the place, you have to leave the main road and drive on dirt and gravel, dipping down toward the boat docks before looping onto the upper portion of the parking lot. Everything was going well, the moon lit things up enough that you could make out shapes around you. We had just parked the car and were talking. My husband lit up a joint and then passed it to me. We were in the front seats, my sister and her boyfriend in the back. Just as I was getting ready to take my hit, I saw something move out in front of the car, maybe 20 yards out. My first thought was that maybe it was a deer. I was turning to pass the joint back when I saw it moving to the right of the car. My sister knew something was up right away. She was about to ask what was wrong when she saw this thing moving toward the back of the car. Note that I had barely taken a hit, my sister didn't smoke or drink, and no one else had time to do so, all of us were sober. We both said, what is that? The guys asked what, and we said, something is out there. They just started to laugh, but then they saw it moving around the left of the car. At that point, I got goosebumps all over my body, and I had a very bad feeling about the whole situation. This thing moved around to the front of the car again, but I noticed it was closer than before. At that point, I wanted to get out of there fast. Of course, I was totally spooked, and the guys wanted to know what it was. This thing had circled the car once more, 
and when it got in front of it again, my husband hit the headlights, nothing. What the hell? It had been just right there a second before. When he hit the headlamp, it was on the right side of the car again, much closer than before. We just couldn't tell what it was. By this time, my sister, who was only 13, was freaking out, and so was I. We kept yelling for my husband to get us the F out of there. He must have been creeped out too because he started the car, slammed into reverse, and spun out of there backwards, heading for the loop so we could get back to the main road. We skidded around the loop, dropped down toward the boat docks, and began a slight climb up to the main road. We thought we were in the clear, but just then, the scariest thing I had ever experienced up until that time in my life happened. As we began to climb out, at the edge of the headlights but in plain view, a creature appeared. It stood upright like a person but was extremely skinny and covered in long, kind of silvery brown hair. It turned when the headlight hit it, and we were so close we could see some pretty good detail. This thing looked directly into my eyes, and I swear it was giving me a good once-over, as if to memorize my face or something. Its eyes had dark pupils, and the look of them was like looking at a madman, pure evil and insanity seemed to be the only things in them. As soon as this happened, which couldn't have been more than just a few seconds, my husband hit the gas and was aiming right for it. He said later he was trying to hit it. It then moved so fast it was almost a blur and was gone before it even got caught in the headlights. All I know is that we beat feet out of there as fast as we could. It was freezing outside and in the middle of nowhere. There were no homes, businesses, nothing. We couldn't figure out what we saw, but the only thing that came to mind was a werewolf. Many creepy things happened in that area, and I refused to go there anymore. My sister, who is a veterinarian, my ex-girlfriend, and I had been on a road trip. After finishing dinner at the Sizzler in Bend, we decided to head south to find a spot to camp for the night. We were driving southwards and then turned west when we came across Kitson Springs. The place was deserted when we arrived. We quickly laid out our sleeping bags on the ground and settled down for the night. However, within 10 minutes, we heard loud rustling noises coming from the spring about 20 yards away. This was followed by a series of heavy stomping sounds, and then an eerie shrieking and howling that lasted for nearly 20 minutes. The sounds were reminiscent of the infamous Puyallup tape from 1974. Unfortunately, we couldn't see what was making these terrifying noises. The intensity of the sounds forced me to cover my ears, and seeing my companions panicking, I advised them to play dead, not that it was hard, given how terrified we all were. I whispered to my sister, asking her if she thought it could be a cougar. She dismissed the idea as absurd, suggesting instead that the sounds seemed more ape-like. Suddenly, the creature took off at an incredible speed up the hillside, continuing to scream the entire way. We could still hear its shrieks echoing in the distance for another 10 minutes or so. Somehow, amidst all this chaos, we managed to fall asleep. When we woke up the next morning, we were unsure of what exactly had transpired the previous night. I tried to look for tracks but found none. My search was cut short as my sister threatened to leave without me if I didn't get back in the car immediately. 
How we managed to sleep after such a frightful experience, I'll never know. Okay this story still gives me chills when I think about it. I know I took LSD but I swear this was no illusion or at least it did not feel like or seem like it. I've done LSD, shrooms, DMT plenty of times me and my ex-wife were chilling in my old apartment in Arizona, it starts inside then goes outside. We wanted a good night and I had prepared Jack Daniels, weed, and one tab each of LSD. We drop the tabs at the house and smoke a bit. We then proceed to take a walk in the park nearby. We proceed to chill there for three hours, after that we are feeling pretty sober again. We discussed and thought it would be a great idea to go to the river north of Mesa at about 2 to 3 in the morning. We take off and once we arrive we find a parking area next to the river. Once we pull in we see two other cars parked but no people. Kind of weird, but we thought maybe they were camping somewhere, it's legit middle of the desert. We get out of the car grab our bag of weed and jack, then proceed to walk towards the river. As we were walking a man carrying a lunchbox walks right past, doesn't look at us, and doesn't respond to our hello. He legit just walks off into the desert into the darkness. We thought it was weird but whatever. So there we are at about 3 in the morning just chilling at the river smoking away. Then I hear a baby crying and splashing noises, mind you this is probably 5 to 6 hours after dropping, I say nothing at first thinking I'm still maybe tripping. The hairs on my skin raise up as I hear the sound again, and then my ex turns to me and says you hear that too right? F. My stomach sinks that very moment, and the crying, sounds exactly like baby, not a mountain lion or bobcat, gets louder and the splashing is louder. So I spring into action, thinking it's a child, and escort my ex to the car, give her the keys, and lock the door. I pull out my side arm, gun is at the ready, not pointed, finger off trigger of course, in case it's someone, the strange man, who is harming a child. I shine a flashlight and proceed to close in on the noise, as it has not stopped making noise my heart is racing, but I move forward calling out is anybody there? and the noise would stop every time I called out, but then start again, baby crying, and splashing in water as soon as my flashlight lights gets close to lighting up the area that's making a noise. I see a dark figure, probably 5 feet or under, but a thicker build, hunched over the river, and staring at me. Noise stops, figure jumps in water, loud audible splashing, and then starts racing towards me down the river. I split, regroup with the ex, and get out of dodge. I highly doubt there was a child at all, at least I hope so, but that terrified me. I'm 100% that was no hallucination but I did take LSD anyways, yeah, that's my scary story. I work in the forestry industry and do a lot of survey work deep in the woods where you really shouldn't be seeing or hearing people. One day, I was surveying some plots in a very remote area about a one-hour walk from the nearest road. I start hearing chattering and voices in the distance but not super far away. I holler out to let them know that someone, me, is in the area. No response to my call-outs. Then bang a gun goes off. 
I really start freaking out and yelling because I'm not looking to get shot. Still no response. Two other shots ring out as I continue yelling, no response. I continued to hear chatter but no other gunshots. No response to my call outs. I must also add that it wasn't hunting season, so I don't think they were hunting. Maybe poaching. Anyhow it was pretty scary and I have no idea what they were up to. I would have thought if I could hear their chatter at a regular talking volume, then they could definitely hear me screaming out at the top of my lungs. On September 11th there would always be four or five guys running out of the house saying, we've got to get down to Brandywine, we have to get down to Brandywine. I never figured that out. I knew what they were and I accepted them for what they were, it's just where I grew up it's old school Pennsylvania, and then, all of a sudden, 9-11 happened in 2001. It's, I don't know, it's very ironic. It's not even ironic. But, there were four guys and they were always saying, we have to get the brandy wine, we have to get the brandy wine and they would run through the house and, basically, it scared the hell out of me when I was a young one. The witness would eventually discover that on September 11, 1777, the Battle of Brandywine took place, a fight between the American Continental Army and the British Army. The estimated number of dead from the battle was nearly 4,000. It happened in Delaware County where I was in Montgomery County just north of there. The witness did not know if the events of September 11, 2001, were connected or if it was just a coincidence that both events happened on September 11th. My dad and I went on a week-long trip into the Frank Church River of No Return Wilderness with a father and son from another country. The plan was to hike in and fly out. It's one of the few wilderness areas with small non-wilderness areas inside of it. We drove an hour or so from the nearest town to the trailhead. Near the trailhead, a rock hit the engine and the car lost all of its oil. This was before cell phones were common. Going back really wasn't an option. We noticed rattlesnakes on the trail. It was late June, so the mornings and nights were pretty cool. Since the trail was free of vegetation, it got more sunlight in the morning. The snakes would sun themselves on it. My dad, the most experienced hiker, took it upon himself to lead and clear the trail of rattlers with a long stick. We were walking along. I was a few steps behind my dad when I was mid-step and noticed a rattler on the trail, right where my just walked. He walked right over. Neither had noticed the other. My foot was gonna land right on it. It was too late to go back and the trail was steep on either side. So I threw my weight as far forward as I could and stumbled into my dad. My dad was upset until I pointed out the snake we both missed stepping on. Our foreign friends turned and ran. We were about 18 miles from the next landing strip with a radio. Either of us getting bit there would have been disastrous. Another story, my former roommate had planned to hike in the Bob Marshall Wilderness in Montana with some friends for a year. He bought lots of gear and they went on several weekends trips to practice. So they get a couple days in and my roommate starts feeling weak. He chalks it up to exertion or a cold or something. He decides to stay at a site near a lake and rest up for a day. 
He tries to go the next day and barely makes it a mile before giving up and needing to rest again. His friends are really worried. He walks miles a day commuting and is on his feet all day cooking. This is not normal. They ran into a trail crew earlier with a CB and his friends decided to catch up to them. One left their gear at the camp and ran to them. They call in a chopper to rescue him. He goes to the hospital and gets diagnosed with a bleeding ulcer. He's lost tons of blood in the months preceding the hike and had to take extra iron for months afterwards. On the plus side, he's one of the only people to have seen the area from a helicopter. If he hasn't gotten medical treatment when he did, he could have easily died out there. Luckily, they got him on Medicaid for the emergency because he didn't have insurance. This goes back about 16 years and a friend of mine was a fisheries officer, a guy with a gun and a badge in British Columbia. He used to laugh his head off at me every time the topic of Sasquatch came up. He'd just laugh, oh, here we go again. Right. Bigfoot. Several of us would meet at the local pub that we all used to go hang out at. There were five or six of them sitting there. One of them is actually a biologist. I'd drop the old bomb, hey, anybody have any Sasquatch stories or see anything kind of weird while you're out there? Nine times out of ten you get laughed. But that's how I'd find somebody to tell me a story because people don't offer it up. It only comes up if you ask. Anyway, this one guy I'd seen around before. He started talking, saying there is an old road called Humpback Road a thin winding road that went right along next to the Victoria watershed at the base of the Souk Hills area and it would come out onto the Souk Highway, outside of town where all the cops might pinch you if you had a couple beers. He said there were four of them in the car late at night. They're doing the overrun through through Humpback Road to avoid the cops. This thing he said came out of the darkness on the left side of the road. They were heading west toward Souk. It came out and loped across on an angle in front of the car. He said it was absolutely massive, jet black. There's no way it was human, it may have been 9 feet tall. It took a couple of steps and dove over the bank down into the thick bush and into the blackness and disappeared. How do I begin this? I think I saw a black-eyed child and for those of you who don't know what they are, those are children who are very pale and they are usually between the ages of 6 and 19. They have very blonde hair and they don't have any irises in their eyes, their eyes are completely black, there's no white, all black. So I went online after this happened to me and people have written stories about their experiences with meeting black-eyed children and they say that one, they can't come into where you are unless you invite them in. They will usually pretend to be lost or need to use your phone or your bathroom to get into your house, or your car, or whatever. If you say no, then they can't come in. Secondly, nobody really has an explanation for what they are. Some people think that they are demons. Some people think that they're ghosts or aliens. Nobody really knows, so, yeah, I had heard of them before I had this experience but I really don't have any answers even after I've had this experience. So my ride. I live in Pennsylvania. I work in Delaware and my ride to work is this very long winding farm road. 
At one point I make a right onto another farm road and this road is a very, very tight space. It's two ways so you can go one way in cars. We can go the opposite way, but it's a very, very tight space. So when you're driving, the car beside you that's coming the opposite way, you both kind of have to slow down just to be safe. It's kind of a dangerous road. Now, on each side of you are very, very tall grass hills, so if a cop was going to pull you over, I'm not really sure exactly where you'd pull off. You'd have to ride down the road for a while before you'd be able to pull over because it's that type of space and there's nowhere to pull over, really. So I'm driving this road, on a Saturday. I had to be at work at 3pm and it's around 2.30pm. I'm on this road, this very tight space, and cars are coming the opposite way, and I'm slowing down so that we can both pass safely. I look to my right and there's a break in the hills, in the grass hills, where there's an entrance to a farm, and I look over, and in that entrance is a little boy. First of all, on Saturday it was 40 degrees, and he was not dressed like it was 40 degrees. He did not have a coat on. No hat. No scarf. No gloves. Nothing. He had on a red and gray striped shirt and jeans. The way he was dressed and the way he looked, he didn't look like he was from this period. He looked like he was maybe from the 1950s. He was very, very pale and he had very blonde hair and he was staring. He was standing on his bike. He wasn't on his bike. His bike was to the right of him and he's holding it and he's stiff. He's stiff as a board and, at first, I actually thought he was a statue. So anyway he's standing there staring straight ahead, like his eyes are really big. He's staring straight ahead and his eyes are black, like, they're completely black and I'm looking right in his face. He's not that far from me, he's maybe 50 feet away, and I'm looking right in his face and he's just staring straight ahead and not moving. I was really creeped out by it and then my window started to fog up, but only my window. My windshield, my back windshield, the passenger seat, or the back seats, none of them fogged up, only mine. I really don't believe in this stuff, like, I don't think about strange phenomena. I don't read too much into it, whatever, so I know that this sounds crazy but I promise you, I'm not crazy and this also isn't a trolling video, like, I'm not putting this out there for attention or anything. I'm just putting it out there because I'm hoping someone has a logical explanation for what I saw. After all, like I said, I don't believe in this stuff and I would hope that there is a logical explanation for this little boy. So I went to work and I told a few people what had happened and they were like, maybe it was a statue? I have to take that road home so by the time I leave work, it's about 12.30 am and I'm driving on this road. This would be Sunday morning and I'm driving very fast, even though the speed limit's only 35. I'm driving very fast because I do not want to be on this road and I glance over very quickly and that the gate to the entrance to the farm is, it's not closed. There's no little boy there. There's no statue, so he definitely was not a statue. I don't have an explanation for what he was. The thing is though, if he was a real little boy and maybe I'm imagining this, there's nowhere for him to ride that bike. I googled that road thinking that maybe he was a ghost and to see if a little boy had been killed there. The only thing I got was a man who had been killed there. He was a grown man though. He had been hit by a car, but that's the thing, 
It's so dangerous for a pedestrian on that road. I work in a rather isolated park, and as a result I'm given housing there. I used to live in the housing full time. Then life became busier, I found myself needing to be in the city more often, and so I moved some of my things into the guest room of my parents' house. Nowadays I only stay in my cabin in the mountains one or two nights a week, it helps me cut down on my commute. I'm now reconsidering those nights though. I'm still having a hard time believing I saw what I saw, and heard what I heard. I've lived up there for four years now. There's a lot of wildlife up there, so sounds and movement in the night don't scare me much. I've gotten used to it, and thanks to the extreme light sensitivity I inherited from my mom's side of the family and my awesome headlamp I kept from my ex-boyfriend I can usually identify the things that go bump. I've gotten so comfortable with being alone with the wildlife, sometimes I even talk with them. If you sit still long enough, the sounds of the forest become louder and more distinct. With enough practice you can imitate calls well enough to engage in conversation with owls and foxes. All it takes is some patience. I guess what I'm saying is, I'm very familiar with the local wildlife. It's my job to be familiar with them as a naturalist. I listen, watch, and wait more than the average human occupant of this park. I know it like the back of my hand, I can track most of the wildlife easily, hike trails in the dark, and I'm well acquainted with my furry and feathery neighbors. This is why I'm so worried. We have a diverse array of carnivores and omnivores in our park and if you've ever tried identifying scat you know that anything that eats meat leaves a distinct looking sort of poop behind. The foxes in my park prefer to hang around my cabin, and so I find a lot of their scat, and they bring me things too occasionally. Usually it's stuff like food and things they think are food. I've been brought dirty bandanas, all manners of food wrappers, and once they even brought me an unwrapped chocolate bar. First I started noticing the foxes were upset. They were crapping on the garbage can handle near my cabin. They tend to crap excessively when they are feeling especially territorial, but I've always been on pretty good terms with them, so I thought maybe they were upset they couldn't get to the garbage in the locking trash can. I emptied the garbage, but it continued. Then I started seeing sign I didn't recognize. The first of it fascinated me. I found it about a month ago. It was clearly the leavings of a large omnivore, it consisted of a lot of acorns, which oddly enough had the shells removed before ingestion. Most large omnivores in our area don't have the dexterity to shell an acorn, let alone the taste for it. They're full of tannins, which upset the digestive tract and taste awful. I thought perhaps it had just been really hungry, but as I poked around in the rather large pile I found some small bones as well. The hunting should be good this time of year, and it was clearly able to hunt. As I watched the beetles clear the pile away over the next week, some larger bones made themselves apparent. They were about an inch or two in length apiece, and maybe one-third to half an inch in diameter with a sort of tapered look to them like they were pinched in the middle and flared at the ends. They had markings on them, which made me think they'd been chewed before they were eaten. Then I started hearing new sounds, and the foxes stopped visiting me. About three weeks ago the foxes stopped showing up. I thought maybe their little family, there's five of them, 
a mom, another female probably from a previous litter, and three kits that hang out. I have never seen dad, but I don't think he sticks with them. We lost one of the kits last year when it was at its tiniest and most adorable stage of life to some kind of disease. I'm just glad the others survived. That weekend, both nights I heard steps outside. I usually dismiss stuff like that as a possum or raccoon, or more frequently it would be a skunk, but these steps were distinctly bipedal sounding. I could tell it wasn't human, though. Humans make more noise than that. It would walk slowly, and I could hear small amounts of the dry brush crackling under its feet outside my window, and then it would step on a branch and make a louder sound and I would hear more rapid steps retreating. I pride myself on how well I've adjusted to being still and quiet in the forest. Most visitors can't even spot me if I'm three feet off trail, observing, unless I say hello to them. Most humans are loud and oblivious to all the things that watch passively from the understory as they charge ahead, staring at the trail beneath their feet. That's how I know this wasn't a human. But I've got other proof too. My bathroom and kitchen are not attached to my cabin. They are two separate buildings. I know it's weird, but I guess it was cheaper to build it the way it was built. Sometimes at night if I have to take a piss, I'll just get up, trot outside naked and squat by a tree if I feel lazy. Other times I'll don my boots and slog up to the bathroom. Well, that's what I did last week. As I walked to the bathroom, I could swear I heard other footsteps. Every time I stopped, so would they. It was like I had an echo. I stopped for a moment to let my eyes adjust to the dark, it was not a full moon, but a rather large moon last week and the sky was pretty clear so it didn't take long. It also didn't hurt that my power has been out, so there were no lights on to F with me. I looked around to see if I could find any animals nearby. I tried not to move too much, because I didn't want to scare it away if it was one of my foxes visiting me. It must have seen me searching, because all I saw was a blur of movement not 10 feet away from me as it disappeared into the deeply eroded creek bed beside the pathway. It was way too big to be a fox or even a puma, and way too fast to be a human. I didn't make a sound as I noped the F out of there and sprinted to the bathroom. I locked myself in there, the door is solid wood, and stayed there till daylight. At least I didn't piss myself, although I came damn close. I took a note from the deer's book and went to ground, stayed as quiet as I could, and didn't close my eyes for a second. I couldn't very well not come to work this weekend, it seemed kind of dumb once it was all over. I shrugged it off as being a trick of the shadows, or maybe a buck that was up way later than deer usually are. Mind you, my power is still out, and it's been rainy and stormy all weekend. I don't know what the F happened last night. I don't know what it wants. I don't know if I want to go back. I was laying in bed, playing on my laptop. I had the gas-powered generator running to charge my various electronics, and run a small space heater since it was so damn cold and windy. When I heard a loud metallic bang from outside, I assumed the worst. I figured a tree branch had gotten blown down by the heavy wind onto my car, so I groaned and got out of bed. Then I remembered the weird shit from the beginning of the month, and the weirder shit from last weekend, and I grabbed my Pulaski before opening the door. My poor mama fox. There she was, on my doorstep.
My blood ran cold and I felt like my stomach was suddenly full of adrenaline. There was a huge smear and splatter of blood halfway up my white door where she'd hit it. I didn't step foot out of my cabin, I couldn't think I was torn between rage, fear, disgust, shock, and confusion. Then I looked up and saw it. It was maybe 8 feet away. My night vision is good guys, I know what I saw. It was the size of a tall man, and it was covered in a fine layer of coarse hair. I can't make out colors very well at night time, so I can't be sure what color. Its eyes were dark, I couldn't see pupils. I didn't stand there looking at it for long, but I could tell it was gaunt and kind of man-shaped except that its arms were long. I'm also pretty sure it's male. It is the single weirdest thing I've ever seen in my forest. I've learned since living here that things that act like prey quickly become it. So I lifted my Pulaski up above my head and screamed at it like you would at a puma. It didn't budge an inch. But it did talk. It only said one thing. Sister. And it said it in a whisper. A gruff, tenor whisper. I once again noped the F out, slammed my door closed, this one is made out of metal, threw the dead bolt, pushed my whole armoire up against the window, and cuddled with my Pulaski till the sun came up. All night I could hear the footsteps around my cabin. When I heard sounds on the outside walls it took everything I had not to scream. It tried to get up to the roof. I have a skylight, so needless to say I was waiting with more than just a little apprehension. I don't have internet or phone access up there, and it's isolated enough that I have no cell reception. The way we communicate out there is with radios and repeaters. I don't know what to do. I'm a woman of science and so are all my other co-workers. I'd probably be laughed out of my job if I told them about what happened. I know I wasn't dreaming or seeing things because the fox was still there the next day, so I notified my co-workers about a dead animal. They told me to just kick her to the side or use a shovel. I decided, F that, and I buried her. I'm torn between anger and fear. This thing killed the mother that was providing for those kits needlessly. It didn't even eat her. I think it's hunting me. I'm by myself up there too. I can bring the radio with me at night, but the response time for emergency crews to my area is around an hour. I don't know what to do. I don't want to let it kill any of the others, but what can I even do if I'm not safe either? Am I losing my mind? Edit okay, so I think I have a plan. Tomorrow I'm going to go start the process of buying a gun. This is going to take at least 10 days, inconvenient in this case, but I understand why the process is in place, so I'll take some other precautions. I'll see if I can borrow my neighbor's candles, these are huge dogs, and if not I'll see if I can invite my buddy up. I don't know if he'll believe me, but he's a dirty, horny son of a bitch so I know he'll come up with me one way or another. I will tell one of our rangers that there's a predatory animal I don't recognize in my living area. If he blows it off, I'll tell our other ranger, super insecure power abuser mother F, that I think an armed person is casing my place. I'll go up early on Friday and scatter some ash on the ground to see if I can get tracks. I won't stay. I'll go back to the city and get up early to go to work and stay Saturday night, hopefully with Kanjels or my buddy. I've got my Pulaski, which I'm honestly way more comfortable with than I would be with a gun. 
I'll also have my grandpa's K bar just in case. I'll sleep in go clothes and keep a bucket for bathroom use in the cabin. I'll barricade my window. I can't barricade my skylight, can't make any modifications to my unit. It's a rental, but I can get up on the roof and throw a box over it so that no light comes out. I just got a call from maintenance not long ago saying my power is back on, so now it's a concern. They've been working on the power pole that got taken out for a while now, management finally put the squeeze on them and it's finally done. If I can't get Kanjels or Boy Toy for companionship, I'll try to put together enough of those spike boards to put on the roof. I won't have to make as many of them that way, as that shit sounds labor intensive. It's going to be a week till I have more for you, but I will update. Please let me know if you guys have any more ideas, or theories. Part 2 So I came back up the mountain yesterday to prepare. Nothing seemed out of the norm. I saw no signs of life, though. No tracks or scat from the foxes or any other creature for that matter. The blood from Mama Fox had washed off from the rain we got. There was barely a trace left when I got there, but I could still easily find the mound of turned soil from where I buried her. I sprinkled ash all around my cabin and the garbage cans with an old coffee can I'd poked holes in the bottom of to work as a sieve, hoping I'd get some tracks. It was filthy work, and I was covered from hip to toe in grey by the time I was done. This morning upon getting here I saw nothing in the ash. Nothing has visited my cabin at all. That in itself is strange. Even without the foxes visiting, I would have expected some raccoons, or a skunk, or even some of the larger nocturnal beetles, millipedes or centipedes. They're pretty ballsy creatures. Not everything in the park is lifeless though. I went down to get a look at the creek after the rains. We haven't had many hikers recently, the weather keeps them away. However, the wildlife does gravitate towards the swollen creeks. I washed my hands in the creek just to feel how cold the water was, and looked up in time to catch a glimpse of two steelheads chasing each other to a gravelly deep spot. Hopefully they're off to make some babies. The rain came very late this year, and hasn't been very heavy. The drought is killing us slowly. I wonder if the creature is at all related to this dramatic shift in weather patterns we've witnessed. The alders are beginning to sprout new leaves, and we have various different fungi popping up all over the place. It's certainly a good time of year to be an herbivore, but I'm not sure how long it will remain that way. We need rain badly, and if we don't get it the herbivores will feel it first. After that the carnivores will go hungry, or have to find new food sources. The scavengers no doubt will do very well for themselves until the very end. I've initiated the process for buying a 12-gauge shotgun. The cheapest I could find was about $200. That's breaking the bank for me. On my lunch break I visited my cabin to set up the cans and my other defense. I have two 4x8 sheets of plywood. I've put roughly 1000 by 3 pointed screws through them. I looked awfully weird driving up here with them strapped to the top of my car, I have a small 90 Civic. I put those on my roof at lunch. The idea is that the creature will make a lot of noise climbing up if it comes in contact with the cans. If that doesn't deter it, I'll at least be awake at that point, if I can even get to sleep. If it isn't deterred and continues up to the roof, 
The screws will make it impossible for it to make any further progress. I'll barricade my window again with my armoire and throw the dead bolt on my, thankfully, metal front door. On Thursday I told our natural resources guy about thinking there was a large invasive predator stalking on my property. He sort of just shrugged it off, said it was probably a mountain lion, and told me to make sure to keep my window closed and not dally too long outside during sunset. I told our ranger, and he shrugged and told me to be careful. I was kind of expecting this, to be honest. So next step is to tell the paranoid ranger that I think there's a person stalking me. He's on shift tomorrow. Unfortunately my neighbor does not want to let me dog sit. It's probably for the better, because I don't know that I can accommodate her extremely large and expensive dogs. My horny guy friend got roped into a committed relationship between the last time I spoke with him and now, so he's spending Valentine's Day with his very pretty new girlfriend. Honestly it feels like insult to injury, but I'll get over it. Which means tonight I'm alone, except for that thing. All I have with me is my Pulaski, my grandpa's K-bar, and a can of bear mace. Please keep me in your thoughts. I'm terrified. If I don't edit with another update by this time tomorrow, you'll know something happened. It's 12.30 PM here. Edit, remembered a couple of other recommendations from last week, and went back to put a box over my skylight and put salt around the perimeter of my room. I don't want to impact the soil outside my cabin, so I just trailed a line of salt against the base of the wall all the way around my room, and very thickly at the door. Edit update. Oh God. It's not an animal. I don't know what it is, but I don't even think it's biological. I don't understand why I'm still alive. When I got off work last night, I immediately locked myself in my cabin and set up my barricade. I had a bucket for the bathroom, and some cold pizza I had brought up from the city for dinner. I figured I would need some comfort food considering I'm about to start my period, and, well, considering everything else. I didn't drink any beer, though, because I knew it would be important to keep my wits about me. I started hearing the steps around the cabin at about 8 PM. The sun was well below the hills at this point. I lay very still, and just listened. It grew very quiet after about 30 minutes of very light footsteps around my cabin. Suddenly a loud and forceful blow to the side of my cabin shook the whole thing and caused my room to echo with the resulting bang. I couldn't help myself, and an impulsive gasp escaped my lips. If I hadn't known any better I would have thought a large tree must have fallen nearby. Three more explosive blows rapidly followed, maybe a half a second apart from each other, on every side of my cabin. The first blow seemed to be on the wall to the right of the wall with my door. The second struck on the back wall that my window is on, the third was on the wall to the left of my door, and the fourth was on the door itself. Hiding under the covers doesn't make that shit go away, but I tried. I was trying to be as quiet as possible while I cried. The sound it made chilled my blood, gave me goosebumps all over, and turned my stomach into a walnut-sized knot. It was high-pitched, just like its whisper from last weekend. It was angry. The sound was a mixture between a howl and a scream, and lasted for about 10 seconds as it pounded twice more on my door, shaking my entire cabin. I then heard scrabbling against the door, 
and my doorknob made that small metallic sound it always does when I touch it, that sound old, loose doorknobs always make. Then I heard the cans. At first the cans jangled a bit, then they really started rattling hard and it made that god-awful sound again. I thought I was going to puke. When I heard a smack on my roof, it howled even more loudly. I felt relieved for a moment, thinking I'd wounded it with the screws and might even get some sort of DNA sample out of this. I then heard the board sliding around on the roof, and I nearly shat myself. I'd anchored the boards together with a couple of chains and some screws and bolts. It wasn't attached to the roof, but they were attached to each other. I think that's the only thing that kept it from getting the boards off of my roof. I think it gave up, and hopped back down to the ground with a grunt, that's what it sounded like from inside. I took the covers off of my head, and let the snot and tears pour down my face for fear of making noise and trying to clean myself up. I heard the steps very faintly around my cabin again, then they stopped and I heard a soft, meaty thump against the wall closest to my head. I don't know what it wants, but I know it definitely wants something. I don't think I want to know exactly what it is that it wants, though. I could hear it whisper in that creepy, raspy tenor again, it must have had its face pressed against the wall. Smell you. I didn't know what to do but I remembered what one of you had said about talking to it. Since it clearly knew I was there, I gave up all precedent of trying to pretend I wasn't. What I said to it was go away. I don't want you here. This is my territory. I'm armed. I tried to make my voice sound brave. Oh Christ, the sound it made will haunt my nightmares for whatever small portion of life I have left. One word. But the terrifying part was the way it said it want. I don't know that I can adequately portray the way it said it in text, but I'll try. It said it like this. Want. It started in that weird tenor, but by the time it hit the ah sound it had slid downwards to a deep, bizarre and horrible roar, like the sound it had made earlier, but deeper than any human vocal range I'd ever heard and loud enough to make my ears ring through the walls. In a frenzy of fear and rage, I lost my shit. I started screaming and pounding on the wall yelling at it to go away, go away, go away. When I exhausted myself, I sat back on my bed with aching hands and covered in cold sweat. It was silent outside. I sat and waited and listened to the silence. I sat there for many hours. It was a little after 5 am when I heard something slide up the wall of my cabin. It had been sitting there. Waiting. It had waited till sunrise. I didn't leave my cabin until about 8 am, when I was completely sure it was long gone. I went outside to see the damage. There was soot everywhere. I'm not talking the ash I'd sprinkled on Friday, I'm talking black soot. There were huge splotches of it on my door, on my wall, and on the screws right above my door. The thing leaves soot behind. The soot smells like decomp, but it's definitely burnt black powdery residue. It also left some footprints behind. I'll let you draw your own conclusions, but just judging by these prints, I don't think this thing is from here, or anywhere we even know of. I'll upload some pictures of the footprints today. I still don't know what to do, but I no longer think a gun is going to help me. What is it? What can I even do? This happened to me. 
Picatra this. You're out in the middle of nowhere, miles away from the nearest population center, just got done putting your fire out and are getting ready to go to sleep in your tent, the sun has been down for almost an hour, the whole time you've been at this location you haven't seen any animals, then as you are trying to sleep you hear crunching leaves and footsteps around your campsite. You grab your air horn in case it's black bear. They scare off pretty easily, so it shouldn't be too hard, but you also have a can of bear mace just in case things get ugly. You slowly and quietly unzip a tiny part of your tent door so you can peek out. You see a silhouette, cast by the moonlight, of a human standing near where your fire was, with what looks to be a rifle held in their hands, as you see them gently kick to ashy remains of your campfire spot. Then looks around your side and over your tent before just casually walking off slinging the rifle over their shoulder. If you know a lot about animals, their actions can be mostly predictable, but people? Out in the middle of nowhere? With a gun? Snooping around your spot, not even seven feet from you? That is more terrifying than any animal. I'd rather wake up to a grizzle snooping around my camp. I grew up in the desert on the outskirts of California. There was a shortcut that I would take that went through a giant patch of untouched desert to get home from school every day. One particular day I was just walking through like normal and this giant bush started shaking violently when I walked by it. I was understandably terrified. A creature appeared from the bush. It was a jackrabbit. It looked at me for two seconds and then quickly took off. The legit craziest thing I ever saw though was a stain-covered mattress, that looked recently used. There was all kinds of drug paraphernalia, broken beer bottles, and used condoms scattered everywhere. I was leaving the area when I saw two sketchy-looking guys and a woman entering the shortcut. We missed each other by like five minutes. I was out stargazing with a girl. While we were talking about what we were gonna grab to eat on the way back into town I was hit with an immediate and sudden feeling that something or someone was watching us. I looked around and didn't see anything, but the chill went through my body but I couldn't see anything in the dark. I told the girl I was with to hop in the car and we were gonna head into town early. Thinking back over it later that night I realized that everything had gone silent too, not even the sound of the bugs around. In all my time in the woods hunting and fishing and camping it's the only time I ever got that feeling and I'm convinced that if we had stayed something notably awful would have happened. I live in a more rural part of Germany so one night when I was riding my bike back home after I went swimming I encountered a wolf. I got rather scared so I just drove to a farm that I knew and waited there for my parents to come pick me up while I got a hot cocoa from the people there. I should maybe add that I was 15 at the time and knew the people at that farm because they're our closest neighbors, but still two or so kilometers away from our farm one. Fifteen years old, with the old man, 6 kilometer in on a 13 kilometer stalk through the bush of northern Alberta, Canada. We noticed a ton of grizzly sign, fresh scat, tracks and disturbed ground. Decided to cut the hunt short and cut around back to the line we came in on. 
When we got to our old tracks, we found we were being followed by the grizzly already. About 3 km to go, we found out it was two grizzly together. They met us at the final creek crossing but stayed in the bush on the far side as we happily made it to our awaiting truck. It was tight butt cheeks for a bunch of the walk. My old man was stoic as shit and I was a nervous Nelly the whole walk back, ha ha. I want to tell you about an experience I had. It was 1980 and it was on the 1st of November. We were out coon hunting one night and we were on the edge of a hay field near the woods. We turned our dogs loose and they took off. Me and my uncle were standing there and we noticed a light in the sky moving like a triangle. It would go to one corner and be red. Go to the next corner it would be blue. Go to the next corner it would be white. Go to the next corner it would be orange. We watched it for about 10 minutes and then it went to the center of this triangle. I mean, not a triangle. I mean rectangle. And this bolt came out of the sky and hit it and it split into four different pieces and took off. Well, when the bolts came out of the sky, almost like electricity went through us. All the hair stood up on our arms. I looked at my uncle and I said, what in the world is that? He was just standing there, completely stiff. His eyes were glassed over and completely black. I grabbed him and shook him and he just fell over. When he got up he was asking me what was going on. He remembers nothing about it. To this day, he remembers nothing. It's kind of weird because after that happened to him, he got real real religious. I mean almost fanatical religious. He, to this day, says he remembers nothing about it. I don't remember it happening. And like I said, his eyes were just, they were like black orbs in his head. To hear him explain why he found religion, he thinks it was a negative experience. That God told him to get religious. Like I said, I asked him several times, what was going through your head when you were standing there before you fell over? He says I have no idea. He says, I don't know. I don't remember seeing anything. I don't remember feeling anything. I don't remember anything about it. I think there were four UFOs there and that lightning bolt or energy beam or whatever it was was refueling them. They were sitting there, making that rectangle, waiting for that refueling because as soon as it hit like I said, it was, we felt it. I felt it and boom, it was, there were four of them split apart and they just, they were gone. In the blink of an eye. Dear Theodore, I am the monster hiding under your bed. Personally, I think monster is a bit of a harsh word, but that's what you call me, so that's what I choose to go by. To make it clear, though, I go by many names beyond you. Night Stalker is one. The Shadow Man is another. I think I also may have accidentally started a few legends without meaning to. Would you believe that Bigfoot or Slenderman may have just been me taking a stroll through the woods? Truly, depending on who sees me, any human can imagine something different. So far, I like your imagination the best. As I'm writing this, you're six years old. For all six, I've been under your bed. I followed you from the NICU and listened to your crying all the way home from the hospital. I admit that the crib was harder to squeeze myself under but I managed. 
I'm grateful you've since upgraded to a big boy bed. It's a lot easier on my back. As you've grown, you leave the house more and more. I'd forgotten that children go to school so young until I heard you return, excitedly rambling to your ignorant parents about the things you'd learned. Mrs. Thomas sounds nice, from what you say. I approve of her, for now. Anyone can sound nice coming from you, though, because you tend to see the best in people. It's a quality that gives me hope. This world needs more people with infinite optimism like yours, and you can quote the big scary night monster on that. In fact, you even try to find good things in me. When the moon casts a hideous mix of shadows and light into your room and the fear of my very presence makes you tremble, I hear you whisper to me. I'm scared. Are you scared, too? It's clear that you don't know who you're talking to. To you, I am nothing but a nameless creature, with no aim or purpose, just an undetermined maliciousness. You don't even seem to know what I would hypothetically do to you, should you fall asleep while I'm around. In the daytime, you think you're safe from me. Do you think shadows simply disappear, little one? If I wanted to hurt you, I would. You drew me once, when you were four. The crumpled paper ended up under the bed with me. You've never truly seen me and your art skills were underdeveloped to say the least, so of course there were a few inconsistencies. Your illustration depicted a haphazard gray scribble, with pointed teeth, and horns, and too many claws to count, almost like a sickly, demonic porcupine. I couldn't help but be amused when I saw it. I won't say you were completely wrong. I suppose I mention all this because I know that you know nothing about me. But I know so, so much about you. In fact, I'd like to think that I know you better than you know yourself. I know that you don't like vegetables, but will eat any fruit placed in front of you. I know that your favorite cereal is Reese's Puffs, even though you rarely get to eat them. I know that you only know one curse word, but you're afraid to say it out loud. I know that you want to be a firefighter, but two months ago you wanted to be a construction worker, and you will end up being neither. I know the names of all your friends, and which ones will turn out to betray you in the future. I know the names of your first and second girlfriends, and your first and only boyfriend. I know you love your parents, even though they hurt you. I know the age at which you'll die. I also know how to stop it. Though I do know a lot of things, I'm not sure when this letter will reach you. In fact, I'm not sure you will ever read it. I wish I could say that I was positive you'd understand why I'm about to do what I plan to, and that you'd support my decision when you grow older. But the truth is, I don't know if you ever will. The only thing I'm 100% clear on is that I won't regret doing what I'll do to them. They deserve the punishment they'll receive. Because, at night, when the tree branches look like giant claws at your window and the darkness seems to be moving in closer, I know it's not me you're truly afraid of. Deep inside, in a place your mind cannot yet access, you're afraid of your parents. I'm scared. Are you scared, too? You ask the question not over the sounds of me, but over them. They fight and spat like wild animals, a never-ending cyclone of neglect and anger. You have no idea how they act when you're gone, flourishing in the temporary safety that a classroom brings you. You cannot yet fathom the amount of pain they will bring you, when they realize you've become too old to coddle, 
and just old enough to treat you like they treat each other. You would be so good without them, Theodore. Much better off, I assure you. It'll hurt for a while, sure, but you're still so young. The pain will fade, and then you'll be free. Free from their chaos and self-destruction and abuse, you'll be able to live the life you want, with no one to hold you back. One day, if you read this, you'll understand why I took them away from you. And I hope then that you'll thank me. I hope the nightmares of your parents' blood will slowly fade into a background hum, replaced by that endless optimism I know you hold so close. And when that day comes, I hope you realize that I care for you more than they ever did. Eternally yours. The monster still under your bed.